0: All right, everybody doing okay tonight? That's good. That's good. Um, you're going to help me out tonight. We're going to talk about this. It's going to be a, a discussion about one that could be controversial. So, we've been talking about things that people think are in the Bible that aren't, or sayings or ideas. And last week we talked about um, that God helps those who help themselves and kind of discussed the nuances there. Uh, Tonight, we're going to talk about the subject of sin, okay, and what the Bible teaches about sin in some ways, and uh, I I told you a story the other day about, or in the early service on Sunday, I told a story about John Ortberg, who's one of my favorite authors, and uh, about being on tic tac Well, in another book, he tells a story of one of their first purchases as a family, and he said, my wife got her heart set on a Pepto-Bismol colored couch. He said the guy in the store called it mauve because that sounded better than what it looked like. He said, but he said the rules quickly became once we got that couch at home, no one looked at the couch, sat on the couch, touched the couch, ate on the couch, drank on the couch, did anything on the couch. He said and one day, mysteriously, a red strawberry jelly stain appeared on the couch. He said, my wife's goal was to figure out who was responsible for the stain and to punish them accordingly. So she lined up the three kids in front and one by one interrogated them. And uh, John Orberg says, I knew none of them were going to confess because it was my peanut butter and jelly sandwich that had caused the issues. He talks about it in in the book. He talks about how that we all have things in our lives that we we do that the sins that are wrong here's the statement i want to talk about tonight okay and i want to discuss it and i'm going to i'll give you my ideas in a little bit we'll talk about it but let you kind of share some things too is the statement that simply is all sins are equal all sins are equal a sin is a sin is a sin okay explain that a little bit more yeah so so you would agree with that statement. Uh, is there a yeah is there a difference between a lie and a white lie? What's that? <laughs> yeah. Consequences are different. Well, you went real deep real quick there, Wayne. Okay? All sins separates you from God? I'm not giving answers. I'm just listening right now. I got some good ideas. Yeah. If you can't do that, what is? When do most people use this? <laughs> well, I mean, parsed? Yeah, when they when they're trying to explain away things that are happening. Huh? Yeah, they're trying to they're trying to make themselves feel all right. Are there verses in scripture that teach this? That they are equal. All sins are equal. Where, Miss Rachel? Does anybody know where it where it teaches? Anybody, I mean, you don't have to Give me the chapter and verse, but do you remember kind of what the verse says? Yeah, there, there, I mean, there's definitely places where he talks about God hating sin. But there is also those places in the scripture where he says there are seven things that God hates. In Exodus, when they make the golden calf, he says that's a great sin. Jesus says that there's one sin that is unpardonable. Last the Holy Spirit, whatever... You know, we unpack that at some other time. Um, when God is talking through uh, Ezekiel to Samaria, he says that their sins are more corrupt than anyone else's. John in First John says that there are sins that lead unto death and sins that do not lead unto death. And there he's not talking about physical death. That's in James. It's there. It is. It's there. You're right. What's that? James James chapter 2 says that when you have, uh, James is talking there and he says, you say, if you love your neighbor, you keep the law perfectly. But if you show favoritism, then you have broken the law. And if you break any part of the law, you break the entire law. It's fun to y'all, have y'all get mad at me when I haven't even told you what I think yet. You know, I ain't told you what I think, but you're getting fired up. I like it. Come on. All right, let's talk about it a little bit, all right? Here's my first point. All sins are equal. Okay? James chapter 2 says that. It says that if you break one, you break them all. Now, here's the point you have to understand. When it comes to splintering our relationship with the Lord, all sins are equal. There's no sin that's greater or lesser when it comes to that. When you get to heaven, which by the way, I don't believe that St. Peter is going to be sitting at the pearly gates checking off a list. But if that were to happen, he's not going to ask you what degree you sinned. Right? Right? At the great judgment seat of God, when He is separating believers from unbelievers, it's not going to be a scale of sin versus non-sin. It's going to be, you sinned. We all sin. Anybody remember your first sin? Is early. I can tell you that. You know how I know that? Because I got kids, and they sin. They they break. They break rules. And it doesn't matter when you're a parent, you see your children in disobedience and you understand that they are at a place where they're not obeying. Now, we could talk also at some time about age of accountability and some of those kind of issues. But the point is, there is a time in our lives when we know the right from wrong. We understand it and we choose to disobey God and to walk away from him. And what it says in James 2 is if you keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbors yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and you're convicted by the law. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. The point that James is making there is it doesn't matter what your sin is. We are sinners. Okay, so the point he's making is not necessarily comprehensive in everything you want to know about sin. He's just saying when it comes to the law, when you sin, you sin. For instance, Wayne, you use the illustration of stealing something or killing someone. If you break the law, you are a criminal. Correct. That's what your name is. It doesn't. I mean, that is something that you are. Now, I'm not saying it defines completely who you are, but that is a label given to you. And so it doesn't matter if it is petty theft or if it is a quadruple homicide. You are a criminal. Now, we'll get to it in a minute. That doesn't mean that people see what you did in the same light, but it does mean that we are on an even playing field of who we are. And so, theologically, they call this... Positional righteousness with God. All right? If you want to impress people at work tomorrow, you tell them you talked about positional righteousness with God. And positionally, when we sin, we're done. Okay? Outside of the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ who lived a sinless life and became sin for us. But the point is, one sin is equal to all sins. So it doesn't matter what sin it was that you first broke the law with. When you broke the law, you broke the law. Okay? It also is important to understand here that uh, even in our civil and justice society, people break the law all the time and don't get caught. Right? Yeah. We're, we're, we're coming back around, Mr. Gerald. I mean, we all of us in this room... Have probably at some point in our lives, or in the last day or week, broken some sort of civil law and not been caught. Speeding, um, younger generation looking at your phones while you drive. um, There's civil things that we do. Not getting your tags, but I'm just, for instance, I got caught. That was the problem, right? But with god there's no such thing there's no such thing as breaking any part of the law and not getting caught he is all-knowing and so in that sense it is true that all sins are equal okay here's the second point all sins are not equal this is officially called talking out of both sides of your mouth all right because when it comes to even in, you say, well in God's eyes, well even in God's eyes, there are spiritual consequences that are different based upon the sins that we commit. Now positionally, we all sin, and when we sin, it doesn't matter what it is. But when we come into another realm, we see in Scripture that it does make a difference. How God views our sin. Mostly for those of us that have already come into a relationship with the Lord. Okay? So once we come into a relationship with the Lord, our status with him change. changed. We become positionally righteous before God because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But then our sins take on a different tone as well. They're no longer condemning us to hell, but they are preventing us from a vibrant relationship with him. And different sins sins, different sins have different effects on our relationship with the Lord. Our relationship with others. Our relationship to the church. Our relationship to our mission. Now, I want you to look at scriptures when we do that. And so we're going to look at scriptures. There's a couple of things. The next slide gives you ways that sins can be different. Consequences are not equal. And motives are not equal in sins. Wayne, like you said, consequences for a believer are not equal. Um, In Scripture, God holds to a higher standard those people that are devoted to following him and have positions of leadership or have people that look upon them. Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. If we get nothing else out of this whole series of discussions, what I want you to get is that our nation loves short, pithy sayings, but that it's hard to encapsulate the truth in those short sayings. So when people say, well, all sin is equal. Yes and no. You have to explain that. Second Samuel twelve. Somebody tell me what's going on in 2 Samuel twelve while everybody's turning there. If you need to look at the headings, you can do that. Yeah. Nathan's rebuking David for his sin. What was David's sin? Adultery and murder. Okay? The two big two big ones. You know, if I don't know that if we ranked sins in here, just let's all pretend that they all had varying degrees these would be two towards the top of our list in fact um, some recent polls have shown that americans still by and large believe in sin they believe that that sin does exist by about 80 to 85 percent which is a large number and these two are still in the 70 to 80 to 90 percent range of people think these are major sins okay other things have fallen down the list Going to church, nobody thinks, I mean, about 10% of people think that's even a sin. Not going to church is a sin. Not giving money, is, you know, I mean, some of those things that used to be traditional values have fallen down. These two are still at the top. So, he's committed adultery, he's murdered uh, through proxy. And we get to chapter 12, and in chapter 12, um, verses 7 through 10, David is talking to him. And he tells him what the Lord says to him. Now, this is what the Lord says to David. Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite. With the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. First of all, who does it say here David's major sin is against? It's against God. Not against I mean Uriah got killed. It's not against Uriah. Bathsheba got taken advantage of. It's not against Bathsheba. It's against. The lord and what god is basically saying here is david you're in the public eye and you ought to know better i mean look at all that i gave you and yet you despise that and wanted to do your own thing you should have known better it's as if god has created this relationship with us he's provided this way for us and we move into that relationship with him and then when we begin to boldly sin Or do things we know better than to do. It's like we are spitting in the face of God. Turning our backs on him again. After we've come into the relationship with him. I try to think of a a way to compare this in marriage. And uh, you know before Susan and I got married. We got married almost 13 years ago now. Before we got married we hung out. I mean even before we dated we kind of hung out. We were friends. And we had lots of friends that hung out together. And they were in that where it was people that were of of, uh, different genders. And so I hung out with girls. She hung out with guys. It wasn't a big deal. Here's the thing. When we started dating, we got exclusive. And if I called Susan up and said, oh, by the way, tonight I think I'm going to go hang out with this girl. We're going to go to see a movie together. That wouldn't fly, right? Now, before we were dating, there. Oh, okay. We well, all have, y'all have a good time. But once we're dating, that doesn't fly. Okay. Once we're married, that really doesn't fly. Okay. Um, we're both going to pay our separate ways. It doesn't matter, right? Well, God is kind of saying to David, David, I gave you everything, and if that wasn't enough, I would have given you more, and you despise that once we come into a relationship with the lord our sin shouldn't feel less serious to us it ought to feel more serious to us once we have entered into a relationship with god our sins be a more difficult subject for us to think about I don't mean that we put it away. I just mean that it ought to affect us more. There are a lot of Christians that say, well, I'm forgiven for all of that. And that's true. But it is Paul that says, does that mean that we keep on sinning? Do I sin more so that the grace should abound more? And this is one of those places that it's good for Southern Baptist churches. They don't and they don't translate Paul what he says, because Paul almost uses words that would not be kosher or good. In most churches. A proper translation of that is something like. Should I keep on sinning so that his grace abounds more. A proper translation of that is something like. Heck no. I don't. I. Want to not sin because of my relationship with the Lord. So when we. Sin. After we've come into a relationship with the Lord. Consequences are different. Motives. Ought to be different. It's not just when we know better. It's when our sin affects other people. Turn to Matthew eighteen six. When we sin and it affects other people, it is a different realm. It is a different um, level for believers. Matthew chapter 18 is this beautiful picture at the front of uh, chapter 18, verse 1 and following about the disciples. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And. In that day and time today, this seems like a beautiful picture because we all love kids, but in that day and time, kids were to be seen and not heard. They were, to be in the, 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 they were to be on the outside, on the edges. They were not to be in the crowd. And so when Jesus says, bring the children unto me, there would have been gasps, like, oh, he's got the kids coming. And he takes the children and he had to stand among them. I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like the little children, you will never enter the kingdom. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned into the depths of the sea. Now, let's clarify for a minute. Who's speaking here? Jesus. So well, this isn't one of those statements that we can kind of... Gl- not that you can gloss over anything in Scripture, but this is Jesus, right? And He's talking to whom? To whom is He talking? To His disciples. So, He's not talking to the Pharisees. He's not talking to people that aren't believers in Him. Now, it is different here than where we are on this side of the cross and the resurrection. But He's talking to believe- people that are followers of Him. And He says... If your sin or if you cause one of these little ones to sin, it would be better for a millstone to be tied around their neck and thrown into the open sea. I don't know that I have ever had much experience with a millstone. Anybody here ever had much experience? Here's what I know, Danny has. You can help me, Danny. Yeah. It's not small, is it? It's not a necklace. What I know is I don't want a millstone tied around my neck and to be thrown into the sea. Right? What's that? Yeah. I don't think he's talking about the coffee here, though. But the point of this is we ought to do what we can in life to not be a part of our sin causing others to fall. Okay? Now, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 8. Turn over there. 1 Corinthians 8. It's always good when the pastor can find the scripture, isn't it? All right, Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 8. What's he talking about here? Food, sacrifice to idols. There are some people that said, Paul, don't we have freedom? We can do whatever we want to do. Paul and Paul says, absolutely, do whatever you want to do. So we can eat meat, sacrifice to idols, absolutely. But here's the little thing. If you're eating meat, sacrifice to idols, causes one of your weaker brothers to think, That the meat you're eating was actually... What he says there is, you know, this meat, there's no such thing as idols. They don't exist. They're not the power. You serve God. So these idols that you're worshiping aren't the real thing. So this food has no semblance. It doesn't make any difference. But if someone thinks that it does, and so they think that you're worshiping someone other than Christ, along with Christ, and because of that, they begin to go back into their lifestyle, or they turn away from the lifestyle that you're living in Christ, then that's a problem. If you cause one of your weaker brothers to stumble. And so your sin. You have to be careful. With making sure that life is lived in a way that doesn't cause others to stumble. Now, again, we're not talking about living a perfect life here. But we are talking about making sure that you're living your life in a way that seeks to glorify the Lord. Um, we may in the process of this next few weeks um talk about the baptist teaching that the bible teaches you can never have a drink okay um because whether you like it or not that's not in the bible okay that way we can talk about how we get there um but i can tell you this that that I am a 35-year-old pastor of a Southern Baptist church, and I've never had a drink of alcohol in my life. And so, and it's because of conviction. Well, my conviction is this. Um, My conviction is that if I were out at the local Mexican restaurant and had my fajitas and my chips and queso, and one of you walked in and I was drinking Budweiser right there with it, that there would be calls to the church office. Let me refer there would be calls to church members' homes and to deacons and to other people on that night and then there would be calls to the church office. And that concerns me. But the main thing that concerns me is those people that know I'm the pastor of First Baptist Goodlandsville and rightfully or wrongly know that the Baptists kind of don't believe in that kind of thing and they concerned about my testimony and they walk by and they see that and they say, Well, that's the pastor of the Baptist church and I can't believe he's doing that and suddenly, you know, those kind of things begin to develop. Now, it's a lot more nuanced discussion than that, and we don't have time here to discuss it all. But the reason that I've chosen not to is because it's not worth it for me to worry about it. Okay? The point there is that we ought to make sure we're trying to live our lives in a way that glorifies God and that we are concerned about our responsibility more than our freedom that we're concerned more about the responsibility we have in living for the Lord and showing that to the people around us than we are about the freedom that we can exhibit in Christ. Because Paul says, you're free. Absolutely. Scripture says, whom the Son has set free, he is free indeed. We are free. That means there are no real restrictions. Now, there are still sins, but there are certain things that are gray areas that we're free in. But our freedom shouldn't trump our responsibility. And that makes a difference. And then the last kind of motive that sometimes causes sin to rise to a new level is when it is deliberate, willful, presumptuous, boastful, malicious, frequent, obstinate, done with delight or continuance or relapsing after repentance relapsing relapsing deliver if you want this you can email me and i'll get it to you okay you can see this in let's turn to matthew 18 i'm just really seeing how fast you can turn your bibles tonight's what i'm doing this is the famous church discipline passage if your brother sins against you go and show him his fault just between the two of you if he listens to you you've won your brother over he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That's not good, all right? They, that doesn't mean you treat them well. It just means you treat him as if someone that's not a believer. God says that when we claim to be believers and yet our sin... Um, When we claim to be believers and yet our sin is the continual part of our lives, then we must check our relationship with the Lord. If we can live without regard to sin and its consequences, then we must check our relationship with the Lord. So here's kind of the conclusion of the whole deal, all right? It's not a subject we can cover in 30 minutes. But on one level, all sins are equal and that no matter how trivial they seem, They all deserve God's wrath and curse both in this life and that which is to come and cannot be expiated or cleansed except by the blood of Jesus Christ. No sins are small when they're committed against a generous, a great God. On the other hand, the gravity of each transgression depends on varying factors For believers. When we know better, when we're causing others to stumble, and when we're acting deliberately, willfully, presumptuously, impudently, boastfully, maliciously, frequently, obstinately, then it's different. And so the simple idea that all sins are equal is one of those yes but kind of ideas. They are when it comes to our positional righteousness before God. But they're not when it comes to other areas that are related to them. All right? That's sin in a nutshell for tonight. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it is amazing how much more I understand as a parent than I did before I was a parent about God's love and wrath and... I'm not a very wrathful guy, but understanding the importance of discipline and heart being broken. You you know, you get that sense in that David passage that God's heart's broken. And how that that happens in a parent's life as well. Yeah, but if you read in the Psalms, in some of of the Psalms that related to this incident, Brenda Brenda says, it's a little concerning that David doesn't even seem to think about the sin at all until Nathan brings it up if you read, like in Psalm 51, he talks about some things. And then there are a couple other Psalms, and I can't call them to mind. But there's one in particular where he says, And for that year my bones withered within me. And this idea was, while everybody else thought he was okay, that internally it was tearing him up. Well, here's what I would say. One of the things that we have to understand as well is, as, as Baptist in the South, We've become real good at having boundary markers of what are acceptable and non-acceptable sins. And so we have to be careful in that way. Because it is hard. I mean, there is no way that you can imagine a pastor standing up in front of his congregation and saying, By the way, I committed adultery with a lady, got her pregnant, and then had her husband killed. And I would like to remain as your pastor. Everybody going okay. That's, that sounds good to me. That's, that's not going to happen. We have to realize that God sees the inside of us, and that there are people. And this is just this blows our mind to think about it when we really think about it. That that David, even though he was a man who committed adultery and murdered, was still a man that, you know, he came through repentance and it came through coming back to the Lord. That his heart was still devoted to serving the Lord. We don't act that way with people. We kind of give them their chance. Now, if they committed adultery and murdered before they came to know the Lord, then we'll give them a chance once they come to know the Lord. But David is just an amazing example of somebody that in our society would have been completely torn apart because of his transgressions. Can you imagine the nightly news about the nation's religious leader and the sins that he had committed. It wouldn't have mattered. They love, the news loves religion gone bad.